Welcome to Politics Weekly. I'm your host, Nolan Cleary. Politics Weekly is a podcast on politics, news, and principles. This week, guest Credible Hulk and I discuss Trump's feud with LeBron James, as well as his feud with the Koch brothers. Okay, there we go. Hi guys, welcome to Politics Weekly. Uh, I am here today with uh, with uh, uh, Credible Hulk from Instagram. Uh, thanks for joining me. Hi, it's a pleasure. Uh, now you have over fifteen thousand uh, followers on YouTube. Why don't or on Instagram? Why don't you tell? us a little bit about uh, yourself and a little bit about your account. I mean, I just started the account as a hobby back in, like, sophomore or high school, and it just, like, you know, occasionally, like, came on and off Instagram for a while, but I've been doing pretty consistently for, like, the last two or three years, so. Mm. So, um, now, do you identify, I know you're not a fan of Trump, uh, but you do have conservative post would you identify as a libertarian or would you identify as just more of a constitutional conservative or what would you identify as i mean i'm fine like a couple of different labels classical liberal conservative libertarian but i have like problems with each two like for example people when they hear classical liberal here they don't know the difference between classical liberal and liberal or when they hear conservative they think trump or when they hear libertarian they think alex jones yeah. but at the same time off the textbook definition of yeah um so all right um i'm not sure i might have to i might have to switch the uh from calling you on the the ipad to the phone which is fine i don't have to hang up i don't think but um yeah hold on all right i think it's supposed to record for longer hold on yeah yeah this should record for longer okay so why don't we start getting into some of these stories from this week? Uh, although, first of all, let me just give a, dis- uh, a disclaimer to everybody watching this. Um, uh, next week, uh, I will be off. We will not have a new episode next week because I will be on vacation. Hopefully, either the week after that or the week after that, I'll be back. Either in a week or two, or either in like two or three weeks, I'll be back. Um, second of all... Um, I'm fine for right now, but I I have had some hiccups uh, today, so if I am doing that during the broadcast, I apologize. Um, But anyways, uh, without further ado, let's get right into the stories. Um, 
so first of all, so let's talk about Trump threatening a shutdown if he cannot get a border funding. Now you'd think with uh, a challenging midterm uh, and the impending threat of uh, Democrats uh, taking control of the House and the Senate, maybe not the Senate so much, but the House, um, especially being in danger, you'd think that uh, you know, shutting down the government would be the last thing on Republicans' checklist, and yet Trump is threatening to do so if uh, he cannot get if he can't get funding for the border wall. So, what are your thoughts on this? I mean, I think it's just absolutely insane that you're going to shut down your own government. Yeah. Border wall, which you promised would be paid by Mexico. Yeah, that's the thing. Is that like? Well, first of all, and this, people like Charlie Kirk like to say that the border wall is essential, and there is, you know, there's nothing else that can be done without a border wall, and I don't think that's necessarily true. But if uh, if Charlie Kirk, if people like Charlie Kirk are really conservative, then they would realize that, or if they're really as conservative as they claim, they would realize that a uh, a border wall would only lead to a tax hike. I mean, it would inevitably lead to a tax hike, um, uh, unless Mexico paid for it, which they're not going to. And yet that, we, and and Trump and Trump keeps saying, but oh, but this was one of Trump's major campaign promises. You know, he's got to fulfill his promise. Well, if unless he, in my view, unless he gets Mexico to pay for it, he's not. Uh, He's not, you know, fulfilling the promise at all. So either, in my mind, either he, uh, either he goes with the full promise or he goes with no promise at all. It's like either the full thing or it's or it's nothing. Because if it's half a promise, in my opinion, that's even worse than no promise at all. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if they end up somehow getting a wall funding because Democrats could potentially cave on that. And if this, that, that did happen, I can't, it's not that hard to imagine. And it has been spent in a way that Mexico paid for it through tariffs or something, which is utter nonsense. Yeah, well, it is utter nonsense. Although, to be fair, I, I should, I would say, and I, and I don't agree with using tariffs to fund it, but I will say, to be fair, when we did start our country, when we, when our country was founded, um, our government was mainly funded on tariffs, not through income tax. Through the income tax, the income tax is rather recent. Three years ago, we had significantly small tariff revenue. It was much more, much more feasible to fund the government to do tariff revenue than it is today. Yeah. Um, but not, that's not to say that I uh, that I agree with using tariffs to fund a border wall. Obviously, I don't. Um. But in terms of the shutdown, I mean, I don't think it's a smart political move at all. I mean, I don't, I don't tend to. I mean, people. Charge, and that's not a Republican. That's since they control the White House. Doing this a month before the midterms is not going to help your case any. Yeah, I don't think it's a smart move at all. Um, you know, I, I, I will say this. I don't. I know a lot of people tend to act like. It's the end of the world when the government shuts down. 
I don't, <laughs> um, because I'm not the biggest fan of the government, but, um, again, it just doesn't seem like a smart move. I think you're kind of breaking up a little bit. I think I think you're I think you're kind of breaking up a little bit. Do you want me to do this on the iPad and I can record on my phone? Okay, hold on. Let me just switch. Don't hang up yet. I'm just going to switch. I think you'll get a, another call. Hold on. All right. So, because I couldn't get anybody else, I'll just be talking about this, uh, the rest of the stories on my own uh, for once. Um, also, the other thing I want to say before I continue is that Politics Weekly now has a Twitch stream going up. Uh, just go to twitch.com slash politics weekly and you can watch our stream. We have political updates. Um, our, uh, election talk was the, uh, was the most successful on our the most successful podcast that we have so far. So, uh, if you go to, uh, twitch.com, that stream is mainly centered around that. So go check it out. It's, it's going to be live every once in a while. And you can see ads from other political candidates and whatnot. So, um, let's continue. And it's all about election headquarters stuff. So, let's continue on to uh, Austin Peterson. So, Austin Peterson, his primary is tomorrow. Uh, great guy. I hope he wins. Um, Austin Peterson got banned from Twitter... Uh, a week before a contentious primary, and the reason was because, I guess because apparently there was a gun being, ra he was raffling off a ghost gun, uh, which, by the way, ghost guns are awesome. I have no problem with ghost guns. I know many people uh, don't like them, but uh, I, I love all guns. Um, so he was trying to raffle that off, um, and then I guess Twitter tried to censor him, and then he compared them to Joseph Stalin, and then he got banned. I mean, that's that's pretty tame. So I don't know why Twitter would ban him over that reason, but I will say, to be fair towards Twitter, I know Austin is saying, listen, I, I have a great deal of respect for Austin, but I know a lot of people that support Austin are trying to say now that this is a something that has to do with free speech and Twitter shouldn't be allowed to do this because of free speech. Um, I don't really agree with, uh, some of Austin supporters on that, even though I am one of the Austin Peterson supporters. Um, I, I think Twitter is a private institution. Um, and frankly, they, they ought to be able to do whatever they please. Um, so that's, yeah, so mainly Twitter is a private institution and they ought to be able to do whatever they please. And I don't agree with the action, but, um, and a lot of people have also been saying that this is going to hurt Austin because, you know, a week before the election, that's kind of a big deal. And maybe they're right, but he still gets national coverage by this. And again, just about 
a week or two ago, he started getting more national coverage by Fox News and other outlets, and Jason Kander started chiming in on him. So the more the more coverage he can get, the better, I, I'd say. So I, I think this is going to help him. I think because he ended up being on RT and other platforms after this happened. So I think this might actually help him win the nomination. And if he can win the nomination, I think he can most certainly beat Claire McCaskill in the general election. So here's to hoping tomorrow. I think by the time you guys listen to this, it will be Tuesday. So hopefully later tonight, assuming you're listening to this tonight, you know, he will have won. Um... But yeah, that's all I have to say about that. Um, <clears throat> uh, next thing I'm going to say is about um, is about Trump's approval rating. So apparently Trump's approval rating jumped a little bit up to uh, 48%, his job approval rating, which is actually really solid for one of the most controversial presidents in decades. And... The fact that he's the most controversial president in decades really is saying something considering we've had presidents that have literally set up torture programs and have increased spending and have gotten into scandals and have sent our troops into unnecessary wars. So the fact that Trump is the most controversial president in decades really, really says something. Um, But... Apparently, Trump is, uh, his approval rating has gone, has gone up to a 46% approval rating, which is decent considering he, just about a year ago, was getting approval ratings within the 30s, and there were headlines uh, every couple months about how his approval ratings were facing historic new lows. People had been talking about how it had been going up a little bit lately, um... But, uh, yeah. But the question, though, is, is will this help Trump in the midterms? And I don't think this is going to help Trump in the midterms at all. Because the thing you've got to remember is that this was around the same approval rating. Actually, a little bit higher than Obama's approval rating during the 2010 midterms. you got to remember... Republicans gained 63 seats in the House in the 2010 midterms, and they gained, they retained control of the House, and even though they didn't get control of the Senate back, they still retained a decent number of Senate seats uh, in the United States Senate. So this really goes to show that uh, this may be a big deal for, uh, or, or this this goes to show that this isn't really a big deal for Trump. Um, you know, Obama, you know, he got clobbered in the 2010 midterms. But the thing is, Obama had a 45% approval rating. Trump has a 46% approval rating. So unless Trump, unless his approval rating was, you know, really, really high, I don't think that would exempt him from, you know, a bad midterm. Now, that's not to say that, the midterms are 100% totally going to suck for Trump, although they are building up to be at least slightly favorable in the Democrats' favor, maybe not so much in the Senate, although they might gain some seats in Arizona and Nevada and possibly even Tennessee. Probably not Texas, even though a couple people have been talking about Texas flipping for Beto O'Rourke over Ted Cruz. But um, the point is, is that if we go back to 2010, Obama's approval rating was about 45% at that point. 
Same thing with uh, Bill Clinton in uh, 1994. It was also around this same rating. The the one midterm uh, in which the Republican and or in which the incumbent president's party actually did pretty well happened to be in 2002 uh, when Republicans did really well, even though they were in the incumbent party in the White House. They actually gained some seats in the House and actually uh, got back control of the Senate. But that was a special case because 9-11 had just happened and Bush's approval rating was at an 87% because of 9-11. And Trump's approval rating just isn't up there. So I think for that reason, uh, I just don't see uh, Trump's approval rating changing for that reason. Uh, so for that reason, I'm going to say that... Uh, that... Uh, I, I don't think that this is is going to affect the midterms at all. I mean, I could be wrong. Maybe come midterm time, the Republicans do really well. But it's going to be very hard for them to do well in terms of gaining governorships and retaining control of the House. Even if they do, by some miracle, retain control of the House, I think it's almost inevitable that the Democrats are still going to make gains probably significant gains over the Republicans in the House, even if by some miracle they don't take back the House. So I don't think this is a big deal in regards to the midterms, but I mean, it's interesting to point out. Um, and it might help him if, if his approval rating is around this in two years, that might help him get reelected, considering this was about Obama's approval rating when he was reelected in 2012 over Mitt Romney. Um... But let's let's continue on. So um, let's talk about the Koch brothers. So the Koch brothers uh, are doing the right thing, uh, and Trump is bashing them for it. So Trump has been recently uh, bashing the Koch brothers. The Koch brothers again. The Koch brothers. A lot of people tend to view them pretty negatively. But no matter what you think of the Koch brothers, at least at least the Koch brothers have principles. Uh, unlike a lot of people nowadays who have absolutely no principles at all. But, um... But the fact that they're globalists is absolutely outrageous. I mean, because, because they think that trade should be free, because... They think that we shouldn't subsidize farmers because they're actually not con artists like you are, Donald Trump. I mean, the, the Koch brothers are right here. Here's what the tweet says. He says, the globalist Koch brothers who have become a total joke in Republican circles. Well, maybe they're a joke to you, Mr. Trump. But when, uh, when it comes to funding candidates, literally funding Republican candidates... And getting Republican candidates to win an election, in elections, I don't know if they're really that much of a total joke, are against strong borders and powerful trade. No, all they said was that the, the children of immigrants should not be separated from their parents. That's all they said. And they were right. They took the libertarian high ground, Trump. They had principles, unlike you. And it's better to have free trade than powerful trade, you idiot. I never sought their support because I don't need their money or bad ideas. Well, that's only because you're a billionaire, but guess what? 
other Republicans are going to need them. And if you want to keep the Congress, you're going to need the Koch brothers, dummy. Um, he says, they love my tax and regulation cuts. Yes, because it was libertarian. Judicial picks and more. Well, he li- they liked one of your judicial picks. They liked... Neil Gorsuch, because I will say this, Neil Gorsuch was was actually a guy who cared about the Constitution, unlike Brett Kavanaugh. I made them richer. Their network is highly overrated. I have beaten them at every turn. Oh, of course, it's all about ratings with Trump. They want to protect their companies from the U.S. from being taxed. I'm for America first, and the America worker, a puppet for no one. Two nice guys with bad ideas. Make America great again. Populism is a horrible idea, you dummy. Okay. So, clearly what we see here is a man who has no principles uh, talking trash about two men who actually do have principles. But here's, here's the thing, and, and they're far, far better men than Donald Trump will ever be. They are far more, both Koch brothers are far more, you know, of a, of a man than Trump will ever, 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 ever be. And the Koch brothers, they have principles. Trump has no principles. It's all about ratings to him. And this would all be fine if he wasn't the president of the United States, if he wasn't the commander-in-chief of the armed forces, if he wasn't the leader of the free world. And yet he is. So he's wrong here. And it's a dumb decision, too, because... uh, if you want Republicans to do well this year, you're going to need the Koch brothers' money. But, of course, Donald Trump isn't going, to, uh, isn't going to do that because he's dumb. He's just a blundering idiot, a blundering moron who cannot keep his freaking mouth shut. But anyways, so uh, let's, let's continue on. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about Obama. Uh, Obama has been getting back into the political sphere, uh, a little bit. Um, and, uh, he's going around endorsing, uh, candidates in the 2018 midterms. Now, it still boggles my mind how people actually, you know, miss Obama considering, you know, his oppressive business regulations and the fact that he bombs Syria every other Tuesday. But, uh, listen, I'm not, I, I, I'm not a Trump supporter. I've never pretended to like Trump. But just because you don't like Trump doesn't make Obama good. Um, uh, and, and how many, so many progressives actually support him, even though he bombed Libya literally every other Tuesday, but I digress. Um, but Obama has been, has been going back, oh, and, and don't forget his oppressive EPA regulations. But Obama is trying to go around endorsing, uh, candidates for the 2018 midterms. Uh, and, uh, right now it's not, or it's going okay, but he's not endorsing Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. He's just kind of snubbed her from the list. 
And a lot of people have been making uh, a big deal out of it. Uh, so mainly what I think is, uh, is that, um, is that Trump, um, or, or is that Obama, listen, Obama was a horrible president. He was a horrible president. The, the foreign agreements were disastrous. Uh, his bombing of Libya every Tuesday was disastrous. Uh, the economy was disastrous, uh, and his oppressive business regulations were disastrous. And many people like to credit him for the economic boost. Uh, I don't think oppressive business regulations, uh, ever helped the economy. And he had some of the most oppressive business regulations as well. And also expanding, uh, and inflating government to an exponential rate, which is just mind-boggling. He was just a terrible... He was one of our worst presidents. And I, I don't see how so many people, especially people of my generation, can defend such a lousy president. He was such a lousy president. He really was. But I guess he was likable. He was likable. Oh, gosh. Barack Obama was a likable president. Therefore, he's a good president because he's a likable president. Fine then, but um, but I but I think he is a smart man. I'll give that to Obama. He's not an idiot. Whereas with Donald Trump, Donald Trump, our current president, is an idiot. He's a complete and utter moron. But Barack Obama isn't like that. Barack Obama isn't like, he's not like any of that. He, he does actually think things through. And that's not to say Obama was a better president than Trump. I don't want to, I don't want to compare either of them. Because that's like, that's like comparing waterboarding. I mean, that's like comparing two different forms of torture programs. It's like, it doesn't matter which one's worse. They're both they're both terrible, and that's what's important. So I'm not going to try and even compare them. But at least with Obama, Obama thinks before he opens his mouth. Uh, and I think it was a smart decision to just kind of stay quiet about Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Because Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is really just a <clears throat> an anomaly in the... Uh, in the uh, in the group of uh, of liberals. Um, also, by the way, happy birthday, Milton Friedman. This week was Milton Friedman's birthday. I'm a big fan of Milton Friedman. He is a role model of mine. But Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, she, she's an anomaly. I mean, she is like, she's like full on to the left. And it, it really makes me scratch my head I mean, she, it's, it's like, really, Democrats, you want to go with this route? You want to go with this type of person as the leader of your party? I mean, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez represents everything wrong with my generation. I mean, it represents the unintelligence 
of my the, the, the complete and utter unintelligence and lack of ambition of my current generation. And she embodies all of that. And the fact that the Democrats want to make this the new face of their party is just astonishing. I mean, is this really the route you want to go down? I don't think this is the route I would want to go down if I were the chair of the Democratic National Committee. Um, But it's an anomaly. And if this is the route we're going down, if this is the route we're seeing, if this is the new Democratic Party we're beginning to witness, if this is the birth of a new Democratic Party we're going to witness, look, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe this will turn out for the best. Maybe it will. But... Even if it does, you know that there are going to be people that are alienated by the Democratic Party by this decision. You, you know that, that without a doubt. I mean, even the biggest hardcore progressives cannot, cannot deny that getting somebody like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez to be the new mascot, the new unofficial mascot of the Democratic Party, isn't really a new... Isn't really a... It's going to alienate people, whether it's a good idea or a bad idea. It's it's still going to alienate a lot of the blue dog Democrats and a lot of the centrist Democrats and a lot of the pro-life Democrats, which I've actually seen quite a few of, even though uh, Tom Perez would like to believe otherwise. And Tom Perez would like to sweep under the carpet the idea that there's any such thing as a pro-life Democrat. Um... So, um, but yeah, I mean, we really have to question, is this the direction we're going down? And I think by Obama doing that, because Obama can get a lot of Democrats. Well, I shouldn't say that, but Obama kind of fractured the Democratic Party already because um, by turning a lot of purple states hardcore red. But I think Obama's smart not to do this because he knows that this could be one of the if this goes south, if this idea of the Democratic parties goes south and it just backfires in the worst possible way, then this could destroy the Democratic Party for generations to come. Um, and I think Obama's very smart not to embrace that. And I think for that reason, it was good not to endorse Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Although I do, I must question, what if part of the reason Obama isn't doing this is because she's in a safe blue district? Because she, just based on demographics, there's absolutely no way Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez can lose her election. Unless, of course, Joe Crowley runs on the Working Families Party line, which I find very unlikely. But... I do wonder if that's part of the reason and maybe he just wants to endorse people that aren't in safe blue races. Um, I don't know. But either way, why don't we move on to the next story? Um... So the next story on here is Jeff Sessions Religious Task Force. So 
Jeff Sessions, oh God. So Jeff Sessions, uh, the, uh, the little tiny gnome that works for Donald Trump, who's currently the United States Attorney General, has formed the Religious Task Force, and apparently it is to um, accommodate for people of faith. Now, I have nothing against religion. I have absolutely nothing against religion. I believe in God myself. You know, I staunchly believe in God, and I staunchly believe... I staunchly believe in a creator, and I staunchly believe in natural rights. I'm not denying any of that, and I think religion is an important aspect of our society, albeit a divisive one, but it is still an important aspect of our society, especially when it comes to charities. You know, in a world where we have fewer government, where we have a smaller government and we have fewer safety nets, we have, if, if we were to completely eliminate safety nets, we would have to find other solutions to help people that didn't include using extortion to do so. And I feel in that type of world, we're going to be turning to churches. We're going to be turning to churches and, uh, um, and, and whatnot. So again, I have nothing against religion. Uh, so I don't want to, when I talk about this next subject, I don't want you all to think, to listen to this, thinking that I'm an anti-religious zealot, because I'm not. I believe in God myself. I believe in natural rights. I believe in a creator. So don't think that I'm some atheist or an agnostic, because I, I devoutly believe in God. Um, but this religious task force is absolutely absurd. So essentially, Jeff Sessions wants to protect religious liberties. And he talks about how, you know, religious people do so much and there's a dangerous secularism in our society. So he wants to protect the religious liberties of others. Okay, sounds great. Sounds fine. I mean, if you want to have religious liberties, that's fine. I mean, one of the things people complained about during the Obama administration was that he was was that President Obama was essentially for, forcing private Catholic hospitals to adopt measures to essentially offer contraception. Even though they were private hospitals, he still tried to get them to, tried to force them to provide contraception. Not that I have anything against birth control. I think birth control is a-okay. I think it is 100% fine. But you can't make a private institution do that. So if you were to look at a religious liberty case and say, that's a religious liberty case, I would be with you, you know? Any religion should be, that privately owns a business should be allowed to do that. And, and that's the same thing with the bake the cake thing, you know? Um, recently there was the Supreme Court case about whether, you know, you should be allowed to bake a cake for gay people. Even though I'm 100% in support of gay rights, and I 100% support, you know, gay marriage, you know, Government shouldn't be in charge of what you do in the bedroom. That's not by my business. That's not the government's business. That's 100% your business. So um, you should be allowed to do that. I, I completely 100% agree with that. But the problem is, is that the Religious Liberty Task Force, the, the problem is, is that he's only going to protect, you know he's only going to protect the religious liberties of Christians. 
And this is the problem I have with a lot of Tea Partiers, even though the Tea Party movement is kind of fizzled away. Um, this is the problem I have a lot with a lot of Republicans. And, and the problem that I have with just a lot of people is they're all for, some, for, for religious liberties. Um, and, and that's great. I support religious liberties as long as you're not hurting anyone else. But when it comes to other people's religious liberties, they don't give a crap. Like, when it comes to the bake the cake thing, it's like, okay, well, the government should not force uh, a baker to make a cake for a gay couple. I agree with that. That's a, Any government that would aggressively force somebody to do that is violating the non-aggression principle. And that's a private institution. So if it's a private institution, you should be allowed to do what you want with your private institution. The government can't tell you what to do with your private institution. With all that being said, though, if when it comes to, let's say, a Muslim wearing a burqa in public, you know, that's that's their religious right. I, I have a harder time believing that Jeff Sessions would protect the liberties of that person. I, I, I really find it hard to believe. So this is the type of thing where Jeff Sessions will protect the religious liberties uh, of, of, of Christians and not anybody else. So, you know, and, and how do I know this? Well, I know this because not, well, first of all, Jeff Sessions' record. And second of all, I know this because he says in his speech we, that, that we have to fight dangerous secularism. Buddy, if you're going to support religious liberties, you have to support everybody's religious liberties. And that includes the religious liberties of those who choose not to practice faith. Even though I don't agree with atheists or agnostics, I don't. Um, I believe there is a God for sure. Um, I believe there is a God that grants us natural rights and freedoms. Um, you got to protect everybody's, but even though I don't agree with them, I will fight at every turn to protect their right to believe what they want to believe and be whatever they want to be because this is America. The first amendment says freedom of religion and I'd be all on board with this Jeff Sessions religious task force if he was willing to uh, protect the rights of those people but he's not going to he's only going to protect his faith he's only going to protect his faith and the religious liberties of you know his faith he cannot claim to be an advocate you, you can't claim to be a, an advocate for religious liberty unless you protect the rights of not just Christians but Jews and Hindus and Muslims and atheists and agnostics and, and all faiths. Unless you um, protect all their religious liberties plus the religious liberties of Catholics, then are Catholics and Christians and Protestants and Lutherans and what have you, then you can't claim to be for religious liberty. I'm sorry, Jeff Sessions, but this is a horrible idea. But anyways, let's quit, let's move on to another issue. So the next story is about Trump's
uh, Trump's grocery shopper IDs. So right now, Trump is trying to say that people that go to the grocery store to actually, you know, buy food and stuff should be required to have a photo ID on their persons. Why? Why, 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 why? I mean, this is just... And people were slamming Trump, and for good reason. This seems like a bad move. Um, because... Well, for a number of reasons. First of all, why should somebody who just wants to go to the market and pick up groceries be forced to, uh, to, uh, register with the government. It just seems very harmful and a very, 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 very bad idea. Um, so it's just a big government idea. It's just another example of an alleged conservative proposing something which isn't doesn't represent small government views at all. And another reason why I love libertarianism so much. Uh, so I don't think I have anything else to say about this issue other than it's, it's a terrible idea. It's just it's not a good idea. Um, but next, let's talk about a really interesting thing. So the next really, really interesting thing is the Tennessee primaries. So right now, uh, so on Thursday, interestingly enough, on Thursday there were Tennessee primaries, uh, or there were primaries in the state of Tennessee for the elections this year. Now, there are house races in Tennessee, none of which are considered uh, very vulnerable, so I'm not really going to talk about them. <laughs> on the other hand, the governor's race could become vulnerable, and the Senate race uh, is looking to be very, very contentious. Perhaps, yeah. So going over to the Tennessee governor's race. So currently, popular governor Bill, uh, Bill Haslam cannot run for a third term. So right now, Bill Haslam cannot run for a third term as governor of the state of Tennessee. He is term limited and cannot run for a third term. So right now, um, it's time for a new governor. Now, as you know, Tennessee is a pretty Republican state. Um, Donald Trump won the state by 27 points in 2016. The last time a Democrat won the state was in, was in 1996, when Bill Clinton was reelected, um, in fact, uh, since then, um, uh, he, when Al Gore ran in 2000, Al Gore was a senator in Tennessee, and yet he didn't win the state of Tennessee. So that was pretty surprising. But yeah, ever since then, Republicans have always won that state in presidential elections. So that's an interesting thing. But um, Right now, the race is on to try and defeat him, or to try and succeed him, and uh, there was a pretty crowded primary in, uh, in this race. Um, 
first of all, there was Randall Boyd, who was actually a statewide elected official there. There was also <clears throat> Beth Harwell, uh, the Speaker of the Tennessee House of Representatives. The Speaker. And then there was Diane Black, who is the chair of the House Budget Committee, who's been a member of... who's been uh, in the Tennessee House of Representatives for a while. She was running for governor. She was very well known in the state. She was a congresswoman. She was the establishment favorite. And she had the endorsement of uh, Vice President Mike Pence. So it was very, very, very likely that she was going to get the nomination or the other establishment picks would get the nomination. But in a shocking turn of events, Bill Lee won the nomination. <clears throat> so, um, uh, so Bill Lee has never held political office before. He is just a businessman. So the fact that he won the nomination is a big deal. It goes to show that this midterm season might be the year of political outsiders. Um, especially if you look at Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez or Connor Lamb. Um, it just goes to show, you know, that the outsiders are winning. Now, Tennessee will probably go to the Republicans. There was there were a few early polls, however, that showed the Democrats doing pretty well. Um, but for the, the reason that However, Bill Lee is leading uh, the Democrat. Um, so for that reason, I'm listing the race as likely Republican. Um, or Politics Weekly listed as likely Republican. But, um... Oh, and he refused to air attack ads. So I, I really give Bill Lee respect for that, even if I have disagreements with him. <coughs> but the Democratic nominee... Now is Carl Dean. Um, so Carl Dean is uh, is the former mayor of Nashville, and so he is hoping to um, he's won the Democratic nomination and he's hoping to upset here, but right now the race is being listed as likely Republican. On the flip side of that, in the Tennessee Senate race, this is a bit of a different story. Now, the nomination process was not as surprising. Uh, Marsha Blackburn, the congresswoman, was expected to win the Republican nomination for Senate. She did. Uh, Phil Bredesen, the former governor of uh, Tennessee and the former mayor of Nashville, was expected to win um, <clears throat> the Democratic nomination, and he did. Um, but again, as I've said in my uh, election talk video, or my election talk podcast, right now, that's tilt Democratic. And if he wins, he'll be the first Democrat elected to the Senate there since Al Gore. Uh, so that would be a big deal. But right now, he's gaining more momentum. Now, I'm not comfortable enough to say, due to the demographics, I'm not comfortable enough to say that this is leaning Democratic, although I should point out that he did win re-election in 2006 as, as governor uh, by nearly 40 points, and he carried 
he carried every single county in the state of Tennessee, and there are like 95 counties. So that is uh, pretty impressive. So, um, so well, but for that reason, for that, uh, for the reason uh, that he's gaining more momentum, I'm, I'm going to say that it's tilt Democratic. But that, those were the Tennessee primaries. Let's continue forward to the next story. So the next story is about the Jim Acosta incident. So, um, unfortunately, a bunch of really rude people saw fit to heckle Jim Acosta. Um, and, I mean, listen, I'm not the biggest fan of Jim Acosta, but he has the freedom of the press on his side. <clears throat> and yet people were actually praising the fact that he was being heckled and whatnot when he was just trying to do his job. So I don't have much to say on this, except I am on Jim Acosta's side here, personally. Um, but why don't I continue on to the next story? So the next story is about Donald Trump and LeBron James. So poor LeBron James uh, is just trying to build a, a school. You know, he's, he's trying to build a school for, you know, young children. And he's trying to, you know, he's, he's actually making a difference in the world. He's going to pay, he's going to pay for their tuition. He's going to pay for their lunch. He's doing a great thing here. He's doing a great productive thing here. And uh, Trump saw fit to tweet out. Let me see if I can tweet it, if I can find the tweet. Let me see if I can find it. But... I think this is it. Here's what Trump tweets out. LeBron James just inter er, LeBron James was just interviewed by the dumbest man on television, Don Lemon. He made LeBron look smart, which isn't easy to do. I like Mike, referring to Michael Jordan. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the this is our commander in chief of the armed forces. This is the leader of the free world. This is the guy who tweets out stuff like this. <coughs> and I I don't understand I, and, and the the best part of this is after this, Michael Jordan tweeted out saying, "I'm with LeBron James." And he should be because 
listen, I don't always agree with LeBron James's views, but he's doing something great here. He's doing something legitimately great here, and he ought to be commended for it. Uh, and he's doing something productive, and Trump is wasting his time with this childish, childish tweet. And it's it's just absurd, man. So I, I don't know what what exactly Trump was thinking, but who knows. But let's get to the next story. So the next story is... Um, uh, ah, the Tuesday primaries plus a special election. So there are primaries coming up uh, in a bunch of states. First of all, there's the state of Washington... There are, um, there are two really, really close races in the House in Washington. Um, there's the 8th District, um, where, um, hold on, let me look up his name. Give me one second. Dave uh, Richert. Dave Richert is running for re-election. Um, or no, he's not running for re-election. He's he's maxed out of all, or he's he's decided to retire after being in since. 2005, so he's been in for a while, and right now there are a bunch of Republicans trying to primary, or trying to run, specifically the front runner is Dino Rossi, who actually came close to unseating Patty Murray in the Senate in 2010, um, he's hoping to get that seat, um, so that seat is mainly considered contested. Also, uh, in the 5th, that's in the 8th district, in the 5th district, uh, Kathy McMorris Rogers, the chair of the House Republican Conference, uh, might actually be in trouble, uh, because she is, uh, I'm not sure if Trump won her district or not, but a lot of people are saying now that her district is considered contentious. And she might have some stiff competition. So we'll just have to see how that goes. Um, those are the two contested races. There's also a, another Senate race with Maria Cantwell being up. Uh, I don't anticipate... No, Pretty much nobody's anticipating that that will be contentious in any way. Maria Cantwell, the incumbent Democrat... Expected to easily be reelected to a fourth term in the United States Senate. Um, nothing more to say about that. Uh, but yeah. Um, but uh, let's continue on to Kansas. So in Kansas, there's a contentious governor's race. Actually, this is a weird gubernatorial election. So. Let me explain. Four years ago, Sam Brownback was reelected. Sam Brownback, his name has been in Kansas politics 
for decades. He was a congressman, he was a senator there, and then he was a governor. So he should have been reelected by a big margin, especially since he's in deep red Kansas and he was up for reelection in a year when Republicans did phenomenally. So he should have easily won reelection as governor four years ago. Instead, he only barely won reelection by three points. That's not good. Now, he's out now, but Jeff Coyler, his successor, who just became governor, is hoping to run for a full term. Um, and, uh, but he's facing stiff competition from Chris Kobach, the Secretary of State of Kansas, and that's mainly his big challenge. Um, Chris Kobach, we've talked about him before, he's... He has the nomination. He has the endorsement of Donald Trump Jr. While the big man himself will not comment on this, but um, yeah. So right now he's the uh, right now is mainly a head-to-head -head battle between the two of them. Um, it should also be noted that Jim Barnett, the uh, the nominee for governor in two thousand and six. Um, the Republican nominee for governor in 2006 is running again, except his wife is now his running mate. I feel like this is a bad idea. Because, like, imagine... Uh, imagine, let's say, okay, he became governor and his wife became lieutenant governor. And by the way, in case you're wondering if there are laws against this stuff, there are literally no requirement. I think the only requirement they have to be governor of Kansas is that you have to be a human. So you couldn't run your dog for office, probably because, you know, you can't, a dog can't consent to run for office. Um, but, like, if you were five years old and you wanted to run for office in Kansas, you could literally run for office. If you, I could run for office in Kansas right now. I'm only 19 and I live in New York State, I could run for any office in Kansas, unless it were a federal position like a House seat or a Senate seat, in which case you have to be 25 to run for the House and at least 30 to run for the Senate. So I couldn't run for the House or a Senate seat in Kansas, but if I wanted to run for governor or uh, auditor, I don't know if they have an auditor position there, or attorney general or secretary of state, I could do that because there are no requirements. So he is totally allowed to have his wife run. And by the way, therefore, raising the minimum wage. Um, and they're also for expanding Medicare. So they're not really Republicans. In spite of this, he still won the nomination for governor for the Republicans once before. I don't, I don't know why considering he's not really a Republican, but okay. But it, it just seems like, a, like there should be a law against two family members running on the same ticket. Because, like, let's say they had a problem in their marriage. And let's say they got a divorce. Well, now they're working together. You know, he's the governor, she's the lieutenant governor. And now they're having all these marriage issues. All of a sudden, the budget, you know, Kansas's well-being in general is now in the balance because... You, you done screwed up. You know, you, you done have... Because now your personal issues are now affecting 
the actual well-being of Kansans. It just kind of feels like there should be a law against that. Um, uh, but anyways, I'll continue forward. Um, those are the main people I wanted to point out. Uh, on the Democratic side, uh, this is the first race in decades where somebody's actually, um, where it's actually a contentious race. Um, Jim Ward, the minority leader of the Kansas House of Representatives, was the front runner in the race, but he wanted to run for minority leader again, so he dropped out of the race. So now um, it's down to uh, the major candidates being Josh Svady, the former Kansas Secretary of Agriculture. Interestingly, he's actually pro-life. Uh, Laura Kelly, a state senator, uh, and Carl Brewer, the former mayor of the former mayor of uh, Wichita. There's also Jack Bergeson, a good buddy of mine, who is a high school student who's running. So there's that. Um, there are two contentious house seats um, in Kansas right now. In the second district, Lynn Jenkins is uh, retiring. She's a Republican. Paul Davis, the 2014 nominee for governor, is hoping to win over that seat. Um, and then Kevin Yoder, who is a Republican in the in the third district of Kansas, is hoping to get reelected. Uh, but he's in a district that Hillary Clinton narrowly won. So that has led Democrats to think they might have a chance of winning there. Uh, Brett Welder, the progressive candidate running, was actually endorsed by both Bernie Sanders and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. They went down to actually campaign for him, Brett Welder, in hopes to unseat Kevin Yoder in November. But putting Kansas aside, let's go to Missouri. So the most, there's only one, There's only one house race which is considered contentious in Missouri, and that's the second district, and that's still considered likely Republican. Um, that's where currently Ann Wagner is running for re-election. But um, right now... Um, What's his face? Um, right now, there's a very, very contentious Senate race in Missouri, and we're hoping to get Austin Peterson elected. He was the runner-up for the Libertarian presidential nomination in 2016. Um, and we're hoping to get him elected.
Um, so we're hoping to get him elected, but he does have stiff competition from Josh Hawley. If we can even make him close tomorrow or tonight, depending on when you're listening to this, that'd be great. Um, but I'm not sure. Uh, we'll ju- we'll just have to see what happens. You know, hopefully he'll win, or at least come close. But either way, it'll be great. You know, it'll be great either way. Hopefully. You know the the fight for liberty will continue. I I just hope it's not if he if he does lose, which hopefully he won't. Hopefully it's not like a grand spanking defeat. You know. Um. But anyways, so continuing on. Let's talk about. Uh, I talked about Kansas, Missouri, Washington. In Ohio, they have a special election tomorrow or tonight. Um, Trump has been down campaigning for the candidate there. Um, right now, Republicans are spending a lot of money to try and avoid another special election loss. It's down between Troy Balderson and Danny O'Connor. Um, the Republican is sort of favored. He's leading in, uh, he was leading in most polling, although there was a poll taken out two days ago that showed O'Connor winning, but only by a point. But I mean, this is a red district, but it is very down to the wire. And again, special elections are very, very, very tricky and very interesting. So we'll see how it goes tomorrow. Uh, Troy, Trump has been really trying to get Balderson in. And then I'm trying to think, I feel like there was one other primary tomorrow. Um I think I covered Kansas, um, oh, Michigan, Michigan. So in Michigan, here, why don't I turn this off for a second? So in Michigan right now, so Michigan, there is a governor's race up, uh, this year. And, uh, right now, um, uh, the two leading Democrats, first of all, Abdul El-Sayed, he's the progressive candidate. He's hoping to be the first Muslim American governor in American history. Um, but right now, Gretchen Whitmer is the front runner on the Democratic side. And um, the Republicans in the race to go for, uh, to try and replace Rick Schneider, the Republicans are trying to nominate Um, what's, what's his face? Um, the Republicans are, it's down between Brian Kelly, the Lieutenant Governor, and Bill Schuette, the Attorney General of the state of Michigan. And then in the Senate race, John James is hoping to unseat, uh, I believe her name was, uh, Debbie Stabenow, 
but Debbie Stabenow is still favored in this election. So that's there's that. But anyways, let's let's continue forward. So Donald Trump Jr. compares DNC to Nazi Party. Um, not a lot I can say about this except it was petty, and it goes to show that he's a hypocrite because if you don't want your father being called a Nazi, don't call other people Nazis. Uh. Former Governor Christine Todd Whitman, Republican New Jersey, calls on Republicans in their own party, in her own party, to impeach Donald Trump. That was very interesting. Um, I don't think it's going to happen, but very interesting that Christine Todd Whitman, the former Republican Governor of New Jersey, would say that. And then finally... Uh, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell announces he is running for re-election in 2020. I don't know if that's such a good idea, seeing as we talked about earlier that Mitch McConnell has such a bad approval rating, but we'll have to see. So, anyways, I think that wraps it all up. But yeah, guys, so go check out Politics Weekly on Twitch. We have all these political videos. You know, it's pretty much your ginormous guide, your complete guide to the midterm 2018 races and we're going to be off next week but I'm hoping to be back either the week after that or in three weeks but either way I'll keep you guys posted thanks for tuning in thank you all for listening every week uh, and that's all I have to say thanks guys